welcome to the Duathlon Show. This episode, Prospect Park Fall Duathlon Race Recap. In this episode of the Duathlon Show, we're back in the borough that's thorough with another race recap from Prospect Park in Brooklyn, USA. It's the final duathlon of the season. Last year at this race, I finished second overall. How would this year play out? Let's find out. Cue those footsteps. First, gear and kit check. Let me give you the rundown of what I wore and what I rode on. Let's go from top to bottom. On my head I wore the Abus Game Changer helmet in highlighter yellow. An Aero Road helmet, not a TT helmet. I don't own one of those. Next was a Rock Bros Thermal Skullcap Helmet Liner. It was 48 degrees Fahrenheit or 8.8 degrees Celsius at the race start, and in those temperatures I like to keep my ears warm. On the face, Jaja Semi-Rimless Sports Sunglasses. Cheapo, Amazon.com, unknown brand, non-polarized sunglasses. Perfectly functional and easily replaceable. Unlike some brands, cough, cough, Oakley, cough, cough. Go listen to the Duathlon Show episode, Stop Wearing Polarized Sunglasses on the Bike, for more on this subject. On the body, the Sparks Tri-Suit, S-P-A-R-X. Black with highlighter yellow accents. Matches the helmet. I ordered about 10 different budget tri-suits on Amazon, and this was the one that fit best. Underneath that, a TSLA brand long-sleeve athletic compression shirt. Another cheapo Amazon unknown brand alternative to paying full price for Under Armour or, God forbid, Rafa or even more, God forbid, full-out Panormal expensive bike brand $200 base layer nonsense. Wrist check. Garmin Forerunner 735 XT on the wrist. Good fitness watch with a duathlon mode. Start it up, one-touch transitions, auto-logs your run 1, transition 1, bike, transition 2, and run 2, and uploads them all correctly to Strava in the Garmin app automagically. To keep my little fingies warm, Adidas Thermal Gloves, unknown model name. To secure the race number, Nathan Fast and Light Number Belt, cabaret color. Kind of a dark pink. Use this in your race so you don't have to put safety pins in your race suit. You can have it oriented in front of you for the run so the race photographers can see you real clearly and tag you correctly in their uploads afterwards. Just kidding, it's really to let the race marshals know you're part of the race, but the photographer thing is also true. And then you spin the belt around to have the number on your back while biking. Again, so the marshals can see your number, which is hidden by the body of a rider in arrow position oftentimes. And on your back, I think it's more arrow. It feels less flappy abouty on the rear, although of course, flappy abouty is going to happen regardless if you're going fast. And that's just something you'll have to live with. On the legs, Velotoes Arrow Leg Sleeves. These have no effect on the run, but are designed to give you an aerodynamic advantage on the bike. Ridges directing airflow and all that jazz. Next we have Fruit of the Loom Work Socks. Extra reinforced heel and toe crew socks. Not any special running sock that costs $45 or whatever. 
I was having issues with my heel rubbing when I wore my normal Saucony ankle running socks, found pretty cheaply on Amazon by the way, in my Nike Alpha Fly 2s, so I bought these taller workwear ones for protection, and they do work. So I race in them. Tuck the tops nicely under the arrow leg sleeve for that whoosh whoosh arrow contouring. And on the feet, Nike Alpha Fly 2s. These were my running shoes for the race. These are one of Nike's two top of the line carbon fiber plated race shoes. The other one's the Vaporfly. Check out the Duathlon Show episode, Best Shoes for Duathlon, for more on this subject. And my bike shoes were the Physique Overcurve R4. These cycling shoes are ideal for duathlon because they have only one boa dial for tightening the plastic laces. More aero than the dual velcro straps I had on my previous Shimano bike shoes, and the single boa dial favors a duathlon racer above the dual boa versions of many popular cycling shoes because you only have to tighten one dial as opposed to two during transition. And now for the equipment, I rode the Felt FR105, the 2021 model. That's a road bike. It has a pair of secondhand profile design aero bars whacked onto the front. Model name unknown. These were on the bike my fiance bought secondhand, and I took them off and put them on my road bike. I removed the down tube bottle cage and attached my profile design Aqualite Aero water bottle between the aero bars on the front of the bike. I used this bottle with an X-Lab torpedo straw with bite valve I bought on Amazon. The benefit of the aero water bottle mounted in the cockpit is that you can stay more aero, drinking from a straw right in front of your face as opposed to getting out of the aero position and reaching down to grab a traditional water bottle. The course for the Prospect Park Fall Duathlon started with a 2.1 mile run, a 10 mile bike, and then a final 2.1 mile run. That's 3.4 kilometer for the runs, 16 kilometer for the bike. Course is not very hilly. The only hill to speak of is on the east side of the bike loop, but you avoid that mostly on the run loops. Prospect Park Hill clocks in at only 0.44 miles long and 73 feet of elevation, a 2.7% gradient. That's 708 meters long and 22 meters of elevation. That's not a hill that I personally needed to get out of the saddle or the aero bars for, and I ended up using only my four hardest gears on the bike the whole race. Central Park in New York has worse hills for the runner or the cyclist. You run a single anti-clockwise loop which cuts a transverse path halfway across Prospect Park. Then you bike three full perimeter loops of the park before repeating the first run course in R2. In last year's race, the winner finished in 49 minutes and 46 seconds. I was second place at 54 minutes and 12 seconds. Transition area was set up on a triangular patch of grass on the east side of the park. Before the race, I racked my bike, set out my colorful towel on the ground below, and placed my cycling shoes and helmet there. This race featured a transition area with one entrance, one exit, and a one-way flow. Runners and cyclists both entered the same gate and exited the other gate. Other duathlons I've raced vary this configuration, with one bike entrance slash exit and a separate run entrance slash exit. 
I mention this because if you're like me, there are always mental calculations to be done in terms of choosing the best place to rack the bike, even in a unidirectional transition area like this one. Park close to the transition entrance and you have to jog with your cycling shoes on slightly longer in T1 but shorter in T2. Park close to transition exit and you barely have to run at all with your bike shoes on in T1 but you have to run the corresponding longer distance to get back to your spot in T2. You might think, but hey, won't that even out? Well, no, because I thought about it a lot and decided to park as close to the exit as possible. I wanted to minimize my cycling shoe dash through grass and dirt in T1 so I could minimize the chance of mud or rocks getting stuck in my cleats and preventing me from clipping into the pedals easily. That's a relatively small advantage and I'd call this a very honest transition area, but a pro tip for the marginal gains obsessed duathlete. Look hard at the course map before your next race. Try to rack your bike in a spot that will minimize your jogging with bike shoes on distance. Some transition areas are forced by geography or circumstance into being pretty unbalanced with really nice parking spots and much less nice ones. My goal for this race was to win, so I lined up at the front of the race, toes on the start line as the clock ticked down to 7.30am. There were 92 athletes racing that morning. The gun went off and off we went. I led the race for about mm, seven strides. Then people started to pass me. Early on, I realized my race was probably going to be to get onto the podium, not to win. That's how these type of events, meaning shorter road running events or duathlons, tend to work. The ultimate winner is probably going to come out of the lead pack. If you're in first place at 500 meters in, or if you're within a few seconds of first place at 500 meters in, you might win that race. If you're not in that lead group, your chances of winning a sprint distance duathlon are slim. At 250 meters in, the course turns left onto the transverse center drive. By this point, my realization had set in that I wasn't the favorite to win and that I needed to try to fight for third. Readjustment of expectations. I was in 7th place at this point. At some point shortly after, I think somebody else passed me and I was in 8th for a short while. This would be my lowest position during the whole race. By 500 meters in, the front group of runners was disappearing out of sight and I was part of a rapidly forming group 2. This whole time I was sticking to my race plan. Looking at my watch and trying to keep myself in the 6.05 to 6.10 per mile pace range. My personal best 5k or 3.1 mile time is 18 minutes and 38 seconds, which is exactly 6 minutes per mile pace. So I wanted my pace in this duathlon to fall slightly behind that for the first 2 mile segment. It's tough to keep this discipline in a race when you watch people fly past you. I was in 8th for a while, remember. But I kept my pace steady for the whole two miles and finished the first run in fifth place. Which means that three of the guys who had dashed ahead of me at the start couldn't maintain that hot pace and had to slow down. I came into transition one as the leader of the second pack of runners at 12 minutes and 21 seconds. Group one came in at 11.29, 11.36, 11.39, and 11.45 all within 16 seconds of each other. I was 36 seconds behind 4th place. 
Right behind me, the second pack were 12 minutes and 39 seconds, 12.49, 12.55, another 12.55, and 12.57. Five athletes within 36 seconds of me. This was the second pack. These were the people I would need to drop on the bike leg. But my T1 ended up being slow for a few different reasons. First, because I dashed a little bit past my bike at first. I didn't see it and had to run backwards a few feet. Second, because I had a hard time getting the boa dial on my cycling shoes tightened. I got my running shoes off simply enough, but had trouble clicking the dial in and twisting it fully tight. My adrenaline-filled and oxygen-starved brain did not do my hands many favors. I had even cleverly forethought to take my warm gloves off at the end of R1, stashing them in a back pocket, so that I could make the shoe part and the helmet buckle part a bit easier. Regardless of this foresight, I still had trouble with the shoes and with the helmet strap buckle. T1 was 55 seconds long. After the end of the first run, I was 5th with a cushion of 17 seconds on number 6th. But at the end of that first transition, I was 6th, down 10 seconds on number 5 who had just passed me with a quicker transition. After I finally got things going and jogged my bike out of transition, I mounted and began to ride my three loops of the park drive, which like Central Park is closed to motor vehicles, but is populated with other runners, dog walkers, cyclists, etc. This was not a closed course, even if there were some marshals at crossings warning other park users of the race. My first task on the bike was getting my gloves out of my back pockets of the race suit while riding the bike up Prospect Park Hill. I sat up and daintily pulled on my gloves as I pedaled and caught my breath a bit. This definitely slowed me down a bit, but I decided to choose comfort over speed here. If I completely froze my little fingies on this little half hour or less bike effort, it wasn't going to help my T2 where I'd need to execute another dainty shoe change. So I pulled on the gloves while pedaling up the hill. Only do this if you're confident. On Prospect Park Hill, after I got my gloves on, on the first loop I passed the athlete who passed me in transition, and I was fifth again. Later on the first lap, I passed another duathlete, one of the fast runners from pack one, who was to stay permanently behind me and not recover his top positioning. I was now fourth and set my mind on fighting for that final podium spot. If there was an athlete ahead of me who was a slightly weaker cyclist, I wanted to catch them and sneak into third. I didn't figure first or second would be in play, but to my surprise, a bit later on in the bike, I was overtaken myself. It was the racer who had finished the first run in 7th place, 28 seconds behind me. Having someone to chase now motivated me, and we traded positions a few times during the rest of the bike portion of the race. Sometimes I would get ahead on the climb, but later in that lap get passed on a flat or downhill section where I seemed to be a bit undergeared, spinning out in the fast sections while he churned out higher absolute power and zoomed away in front of me. He approached the T2 timing mat with a few seconds of advantage over me. But I had a quick and clean dismount and actually beat him into transition. My bike leg was 26 minutes and 49 seconds. First lap, 9.08. Second lap, 8.54. Third lap to transition to 8 minutes and 45 seconds. Average speed for the bike leg, 22.6 miles per hour or 36.4 kilometers per hour. My T2 took 37 seconds. 
better than the 55 in transition one, but still not perfect. I had a slightly slow time getting my right shoe on in T2. There's a delicate balance between keeping your elastic laces tight enough for a good foot lockdown and keeping them loose enough to allow you to jam your foot into the shoe during T2. Check out the Duathlon Show episode, How to Choose the Right Shoelaces for Duathlon, for more on this subject. During this race, my tremendous upper body strength, nurtured through random dalliances with the 5-pound weights lying around the place, proved much too much for the poor heel tab of the Nike Alpha Fly 2. I ripped it clean off in a victorious attempt to thrust my right foot into the boot. I ran away in triumph, but I'm not sure this particular pair of $275 shoes will be duathlon raceable again. I don't think a polyester heel tab is fixable by me or anyone. Great excuse to buy a new pair of carbon super shoes for next race season. Right, babe? That cool with you, fiancé? I'll ask her through the medium of podcast and see what she thinks. I think women love that. Again, I lost a position in transition. My bike leg companion, who I had passed just before T2, passed me with a quicker shoe change, so I ran out in fifth place by two seconds. I only know this by looking at the race results and individual leg timings afterwards. During the race itself, I didn't see him pass me again. I thought I was fourth the whole time. I wasn't aware of where fifth place was, and I was worrying the whole second run that I might be caught. I would glance behind me every once in a while, but never did see anyone. I must have passed him early in R2 without noticing. In any event, I never saw him again. Looking back at the notes I wrote down before the race, my race plan for R1 had been 605 to 610 per mile pace range, the bike leg goal was smash the bike, and run 2 plan was if I have some legs left, try to do a negative split on the run. I did R1 in a 607 mile pace, pretty much exactly my goal. I'm measuring my pace from my watch, by the way, not the official race results or published race distances. I got 2 miles for each loop, not 2.1, and I must have beeped my watch slightly incorrectly because I recorded a slightly different duration for R1. Anyhow, R2 was painful, especially at the start, and at the end, and also in the middle. That being said, the legs felt the best they've ever felt in any R2 in my short duathlon career so far. And the results bear that out. I did execute the negative run split for the first time in a duathlon race, finishing run 2 in a time of 12 minutes and 8 seconds. Over exactly 2 miles, that's a 6 minutes and 3 seconds pace. I actually had the second fast run 2 split in the whole field. Unluckily for my podium ambitions, though, was the fact that I didn't see anyone at all on run two. I mean, I saw plenty of dog walkers and early morning joggers or bird watchers, but not one single race competitor. So I did not end up catching the athlete in third place. I crossed the line for the 2023 Prospect Park Fall Duathlon in fourth place with a total race time of 52 minutes and 50 seconds. During run two, there was no such thing as the front pack in the second pack. As I mentioned, I ran the whole second run completely alone and finished by myself. 
Third place finish in 51 minutes and 58 seconds, almost a minute in front of me. Fifth place, the athlete who I was racing during the bike leg, finished one minute and 45 seconds behind me. For further context, first place finished in 49.31 and second place in 50.43. So no sprint finishes in the top five. Everyone was well separated by then. So fourth place in the last duathlon of the season. Is that the result I was shooting for? No, I wanted to win. Failing that, get on the podium. I failed both. Am I disappointed? Actually, no. I have no regrets because I'm satisfied with the way I executed my race plan. My transitions weren't perfect, but I didn't lose any final race positions because of them. I'm very happy with the negative run split and the fact that I was second fastest runner in the whole field for R2. Last year on the same course, I finished second overall, but in a time of 54-12. I went 1 minute and 22 seconds faster this year, and I'm happy with that. Speaking of rankings, let's break down the individual leg splits. I already shared the fact that I was in 5th position on the road after R1, 6th position after T1, 4th after the bike, 5th after T2, and 4th over the finish line. But what about the absolute rankings of isolated splits? Well, I was the 5th fastest athlete in the first run, 6.07 pace, 166 average beats per minute on the heart rate. Then I had the 30th fastest transition one. Then I was 7th fastest on the bike, 1 minute and 17 seconds slower than the fastest split. Average heart rate, 162 BPM. I was 19th quickest in T2. And then, of course, on the R2, I had the second fastest time, one minute and one second slower than the fastest mark set by the race winner. 174 BPM average here. What are my major takeaways from this race? First, I can improve my transitions. I was not as quick as the people around me in this race. Second, I'm probably nearing my peak optimization on the bike portion of a duathlon, at least for now. I could buy a TT bike or a triathlon bike, but I've ruled that out for the moment. Only one bike in my small New York apartment, thank you very much. There aren't many other technical improvements I could make on my current rig, I don't think. I mean, I could buy a power meter or commit to training more hours next year, but I actually think there are other investments of time or money that would get me farther. Along those lines, and this is my third and final takeaway, I think I can and should keep working on my running fitness. There might be more room for improvement there versus the bike. At my best, I'm a 6 minutes per mile runner right now. The guy who won the race was more like a 5.45 per mile runner. If I want to be up there, I might have to transform myself into more of a greyhound like that fella. How could I get there? Maybe more volume. This is early November 2023 as I'm recording and I've logged 620 miles, that's 998 kilometers, running in this year so far. Last year, my first year as a runner, I did 400 miles. If I commit myself to a running program, I bet I can make myself faster next year. I'm not much for super structured training plans, and I definitely don't have a coach, but I think I'll attempt a mix of easy zone two runs with some harder interval training days mixed in. So what's next? 
I'm looking forward to one more race this season, a turkey trot 5k this month of November 2023. After that, time to take a bit of an off-season break, scale down the training, and scale up the holiday weight gain. I love Christmas, family, eating and drinking, and so on, so it's going to be fun to focus on guilty pleasures for a while and forget athletics. The next duathlon will probably be next March 2024. Sometime in January, I'll shake myself out of my holiday laziness bubble and start pounding the pavement again in preparation. But no worries, loyal followers of the duathlon show. Content schedule will not be taking an off-season. So stay tuned, keep doing your best, and stay dry, everyone. You can follow The Duathlon Show on Twitter and YouTube at The Duathlon Show. Questions or comments? The Duathlon Show at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a good rating and review on the platform where you found it and tell your friends. You can support The Duathlon Show by donating at ko-fi.com slash The Duathlon Show. 